Dementia in Practice is recorded and produced in multiple locations. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which we meet. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples, their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia. With sleep hygiene comes sleep regularity. Certainly having a fairly established sleep pattern is important, but I would always focus on the wake-up time, not necessarily the bedtime. Hi, it's Hilton Coppy here, and welcome back to Dementia in Practice, a podcast that's made by GPs for GPs and for other health professionals who want to learn more about dementia. As always, Dr. Marita Long and Dr. Steph Daly from Dementia Training Australia are with me today. Marita, how did you sleep last night? I had a shocker last night because I had a terrible nightmare, so I woke up actually sobbing, and it took ages to get back to sleep, but I've had some coffee, so it's all good. So the world's looking good again. Yep. Yeah, and what about you, Steph? Well, I, I never seem to dream, so I don't know what that's all about, but I'm pretty good at falling asleep and staying asleep. It's just my children that tend to wake me up. Yeah, I, I did hear once that... Um, Regular marijuana users don't have dreams. I'm sure that doesn't apply to you, Steph. But I did speak with uh, Professor Sharon Naismith, who's a clinical neuropsychologist, about sleep and the impact that sleep might have on people living with dementia. So let's start that interview now and, uh, and hear what Sharon had to say. I think we all have certainly had an experience where we've had poor sleep and then the next day we feel a bit grumpy or not quite as sharp or our memory's not as good. We do know that sleep has a really important role to play just in, you know, day-to-day alertness, cognition and mood as well. But there's now mounting evidence that sleep has a more integral role in brain health. So we know that it's important certainly for keeping our our brain healthy in in many ways, not only for our mood, but actually for the functioning of the brain, for the plasticity of the brain, for consolidating our memories and also clearing our waste systems as well. So that's just a few ways that we know that it's important. Um, And of course, there's some longer term studies now that also show that if you follow people up, then those people that complain of having poor sleep, just poor sleep quality, are certainly at increased risk of dementia over time. What actually happens in the brain while people are asleep? What, what's going on, um, particularly in ter- terms of restorative functioning of the brain? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting. We know now that, um, you know, we not, traditionally would talk about sleep as just being slow wave sleep, REM sleep, and this kind of macro architecture of sleep. But now we know there's a whole kind of orchestra that's very highly synchronized that actually is playing a really important role in clearing, you know, the day's memories and the day's processes, putting them somewhere else in the cortex for kind of storage and freeing up the brain so that the next day we can actually process more information. So it is quite a pivotal restorative role, but we now understand that there's a more pivotal role as well in terms of clearing the brain of toxins and waste. So we know that there are certain parts of sleep that are really important for that. So slow wave sleep, that really nice deep sleep we get is really important for clearing those toxins and waste products from the brain as well. And one more aspect, we know that sleep actually now plays a a critical role in neurogenesis. So we know that the hippocampus 
hippocampus, the key part of the brain that looks after our memories and that's involved very early in dementia, is capable of kind of new growth. And we know that sleep plays a pivotal role in that. So there's been some really great animal studies that show that if you deprive people of sleep, you actually stop that proliferation in that key brain structure. So that's really quite an important role too, to make sure that not only are we kind of freeing up our brain so that we can process more the next day, but we're actually kind of keeping it healthy in the same process. Yeah, right. Wow. So it helps the brain to grow in it. Yeah, a that's right. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, yeah, because, you, you know, my training, the brain was static. You just you got what you got. And if you um, tried too hard not to knock off too many brain cells. But uh, from what I'm understanding, you're saying is that sleep actually helps to maintain and regenerate. Is that That's right? right? Yeah. So it's kind of, um, I guess, in a sense, you know, there's been a lot of interest in this concept of neuroplasticity. And we know that sleep really helps to support that process now, you know, shedding the things that are not important that we've processed in the day and really consolidating and strengthening the links in the brain between the things that we really need to remember. Like what the computer tech guy did on my hard drive today, sort of doing all that defragging or whatever they call it. Yeah, that's right. Get rid of the junk, the stuff you don't need, and just really consolidate that stuff that you need to recall the next day. And also kind of freeze up a bit of hard drive, I guess, if you want to put it in those terms, so that the next day you can actually process more information. So that's a really pivotal role. There's some very discreet processes we know that underpin that. So um, they're called sleep spindles. They're generally in the thalamus of the brain and what they do is work within the um, with the cortex in a highly kind of synchronized manner to take those kind of memories reprocess them um, and really strengthen those synapses and, and clear the brain so that we can process more the next day wow so much in all of that it was great speaking with Sharon, and we'll hear a little bit more from her shortly. But Steph, I thought I'd ask you first, there seems to be a lot of new information about sleep. I'm just wondering how much training you got at uni or in your general practice training that you got about sleep and its impact on health. Hardly any, I would say. Maybe I look younger than I am. But I, I mean, I graduated in 2006, um, and apart from sort of obstructive sleep apnea, I don't think we had much training on sleep-specific disorders, but they are becoming more and more uh, prevalent. Well, I, I guess more prevalent or we have more understanding or more people presenting with them. And I certainly have a few patients who experience other sleep disorders such as narcolepsy. And there's not a day goes by before I get somebody coming in saying they've had poor sleep. So it's one of those um, tricky, tricky things to manage, isn't it? Everybody wants a tablet to fix their sleep. And it seems like having a tablet's not going to be the answer. Um, Marita, it's really interesting as we were sitting together listening to Sharon talking there, the horror on your face when she was talking about the impact of sleep deprivation in midlife. Um, just wondering what was going through your mind when you heard Sharon saying those things. I'm just calculating all the risks that I've got for dementia, actually. They just keep sort of piling up every episode we do of this podcast, which I don't know is a good thing or bad thing. Uh, I guess information and knowing is really important, right? So I think, like Steph said, it's something that we see a lot in general practice where people are having disturbed sleep. And because I'm a female doctor, I see loads of women going through menopause and one of their biggest complaints is poor sleep and brain fog. You know, they're two things that go hand in hand and it kind of makes sense now. 
you know, there's a there's a reason for it. And I've never had that understanding of how important sleep is for, I mean, we know sleep makes you feel better and we know it's restorative, but I didn't actually understand that your brain is actually shedding, I think, Sharon said all that useless information or information that's not needed and, you know, clearing the amyloid and it's really important sleep, isn't it? And I just never really understood just how important. So now it's about thinking, okay, you know, most of us have super busy lives and one of the things, again, Steph and I often talk about is the importance of getting up for the gym in the morning, but then you've got to get to bed at a reasonable time to get at least your six hours sleep in. So there's all these sort of competing demands as well, but it does raise the importance of talking about sleep now. Yeah. And listening to Sharon, it was sort of like the science catching up with what we just knew by observation and and listening to people. There's now functional MRIs that can prove what we kind of already knew, which um, does sometimes happen. The science lags a little bit behind conventional knowledge. The other thing I was really struck by was the idea about sleep being an opportunity for the brain to be cleared of toxins. And I know for many of my patients who perhaps life's a bit stressful, it may be that they'll have a drink before they go to bed, a drink of alcohol. And Steph, I was just wondering what your thoughts were about putting toxins in to get to sleep that maybe the purpose of which is to get rid of toxins. Yeah, it's a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? And I guess that's another opportunity to kind of help people link, you know, in their mind why perhaps alcohol isn't the best thing to do before going to bed. You know, if you can say to someone, well, look, the purpose of sleep is really restoration and we're trying to wash our brains of toxins and, and you know, reset the clock, if you like. And, and, and I think trying to make it real world advice so you know talking about the brain in terms of your mainframe computer if you like people understand the concept of computers and then you know saying well we want to like you said defragment and so perhaps adding in alcohol you know adding in more programs when you're going to bed is perhaps not going to help you get that really restful time and allow your brain to kind of cleanse itself which I quite like that as as a way of you know helping patients or people to understand you know, the the relationship between what they're doing and what their body's trying to do in, in the opposite way. And again, we've always known alcohol is not good for sleep, but now we've actually got a reason to be able to explain that to people. So it makes sense. Mm. Yeah, It's not just giving advice again. It's giving proper information. So educating people about why alcohol would be disruptive to sleep. Yeah. yeah, I think it gets away from that kind of paternalistic, the doctor is telling you not to do something. If you mm. can actually demonstrate a reason, a logical reason why you're you're giving that advice, you know. So Marita, what are your thoughts about the impact of REM sleep disorder on people with dementia and cognitive decline? Yeah, so I guess we know a little bit about the importance of um, REM sleep, but I guess from my own practice, one of the first patients I met with Lewy body dementia actually had been diagnosed with a REM sleep disorder and had been treated for a REM sleep disorder. And no one had sort of considered that perhaps this could be a marker 
for Lewy body dementia. And I think the more we learn about it, we do know that there is an association. So I guess when we're seeing our elderly patients and we're hearing that there's some disordered sleep, particularly after hearing what Sharon has talked about, I think, again, it should be a little bit of a red flag that there could be something more going on. So I guess now that'll change my practice a little bit when I'm seeing people with disordered sleep. Yeah, and I was just thinking as you were talking, we talk about the five domains of dementia being cognitive decline, functional decline, psychiatric manifestations, changes in behaviour and functional decline. Steph, I wonder if we should include sleep disturbance as a sixth domain, given that from listening to Sharon, maybe everyone with dementia has their sleep affected. It is one of those things that we should perhaps ask when we're thinking about a holistic person-centered approach anyway, because the if somebody is having sleep disturbance, that can have a massive impact from for the whole family, can't it? So it is actually something that I ask routinely in my consultations. I do ask about sleep and particularly REM sleep disorder as well. So I think getting into that rhythm of, again, asking about these things can be really helpful because you can get some insights as to what's happening for that person. When you ask about REM sleep, Steph, what do you actually ask? So I ask whether it kind of it's easier if somebody is sleeping in the same bed as someone else because they often will, the other person will notice, you know, do you thrash about at night? Um, do you have very active dreams? Do you sometimes act out those dreams? And, you know, it can even start with something as simple as sort of restless legs phenomenon to begin with. So basically movement in sleep, not not having kind of a restful, still sleep. That's the sorts of questions that I'm asking about. Sharon had a bit more to say about sleep, so I'm thinking, why don't we have a listen and then we'll um, we'll talk again after we hear her say a little more. As GPs, what can we do to assist our patients with regard to the best quality sleep to optimise their brain function? I think it's important to ask about sleep. So we know that as we get older, we do have more sleep complaints. So our sleep architecture does change. Our sleep duration gets a bit shorter. We know that we have lighter sleep. um, So we have more of that stage one sleep where you kind of don't feel like you're fully asleep. We have less of the really nice sleep, the nice deep sleep, you know, that's harder to wake up from. And that's actually very restorative sleep. We have changes to our circadian rhythms. We have all kinds of things. So it's important firstly for GPs, you know, and for the general public to recognise that changes in sleep with ageing are normal. When it becomes more problematic is when it starts to impact on daytime functioning. Certainly there is evidence that if someone has dementia and sleep disturbance that they will decline more quickly. We don't yet have enough evidence to say that if we treat that sleep disturbance, we will slow the disease. Um, so we, we still do need, you know, that clinical trial evidence in that respect. I mean, so once someone has dementia, we do see quite profound changes in sleep. You know, um, quite often it's normally an amplification of those changes we see in ageing. So we do normally see that very light sleep, lots of daytime sleepiness and daytime napping. Um, And, of course, some agitation, et cetera, we can get in the evenings as well. You also see alterations in those physiological processes. So I was talking before about sleep microarchitecture, so these very discrete 
neurophysiological events that occur during the night, there are also massive changes in those. So doing what we can to kind of boost those processes, even though it may not be obvious, can certainly be beneficial. So one of the things that I would normally focus on first is really just thinking about sleep hygiene. Now, with sleep hygiene comes sleep regularity. Um, So certainly having a fairly established sleep pattern is important, but I would always focus on the wake-up time, not necessarily the bedtime. Certainly trying to make people go to bed at 8 o'clock and get up at 8 o'clock or something is not going to work and probably lead to poorer sleep. But importantly, if we focus on what time is someone getting up in the morning, that it's giving that light input into the circadian rhythm. And that's one of the most important things that we can do because we know that not only with age but also with dementia, we do get changes in that circadian rhythm. So we get a decrease in melatonin um, and the decrease in melatonin in turn leads to, you know, changes in that rhythm. So resetting it every day, really important, bright light, getting out, getting as much of it as we can. And there certainly have been good quality studies that have been done in aged care facilities showing that light in itself can improve mood and cognition and and sleep quality. The other really big one is um, daytime napping. So we really want to minimise that as much as we can. Um, I know that's sometimes hard. You know, a brief nap of maybe 10 minutes just after lunch can be okay for to give someone a little bit of a boost. But certainly, you know, the types of naps that we see, you know, older people with dementia and particularly people in aged care facilities having are going to have, you know, detrimental effects on their nighttime sleep. So some of them are napping, you know, two or three hours in the afternoon, blinds are down, you know, so the light input's totally gone, totally mucking with the whole circadian rhythm. So, you know, a a 10-minute nap might give a bit of a boost to alertness and memory for a couple of hours. I would say to a person living with dementia that if they, you know, they want to go out in the evening with their family and do something, then certainly having a longer nap in the afternoon, just after lunch in that post-lunch dip period, a nap of about, you know, 30 or 40 minutes will give them about a three or four hour boost into the evening. So that that could be helpful, but I would in general not do that on a regular basis because it does count in your total sleep time. It does impact on your ability to fall asleep at night and in turn influence that quality of sleep as well. Also, even things like exercise um, is important for older people living with dementia. We know that exercise is really important for promoting those neurophysiological events that change um, in the brain as we get older. Um, So they actually increase the slow wave activity. We know that slow wave activity is important for clearing the brain of toxins. So anything we can do to boost that slow wave activity is important. So cognitive exercise and physical exercise are both good for that. Um, And the other key thing that I'd be thinking about is mood. We know that, you know, depression is common in older people and in people with dementia. And so I'd really be looking out for any changes in mood because, of course, changes in mood can precede sleep disturbance as well. So treating that is important. So it was my turn to feel a bit horrified listening to Sharon that time because two of the things that I love the most is having a nice big lunch followed by a nice big nap. Uh, I might need to change some of those practices. It's in my European blood, which is, you know, it's most disturbing. But Marita, I was interested in Sharon's idea about prescribing a wake-up time. I'd never thought to do that before. Never. I know. I think it's a great idea. And as we're moving more into um, the realms of social prescribing, why not do that? 
as a starting point. You know, work out what works best for a person, what might be an ideal time and how that might work for their day, their circumstance, the care, etc. But I think it's a great idea. And in fact, that's for everyone, not just for people with dementia, right? Anyone who's having a sleep problem. Don't know how it would go with the adolescent population with that. But for most other people, certainly I reckon that's a, a really great way to start. It'd be one actually good thing about having a phone by the bed because to use it as an alarm rather than a going to sleep thing as a waking up thing. Yeah, but you've got to move it away from the bed. So that you move. So that you get up. Yeah. yeah you don't just turn it off and go, oh, just another 10 minutes because we all know how that ends. Yeah, not well. <laughs> So there's so much to talk about sleep. We'd originally planned to do just one episode, but there's so much material here. And I guess it kind of, it's almost a metaphor that we spend so much time of our life sleeping that we're going to spend so much time on our podcast focusing on sleep. So Sharon will come back and join us again for our next episode and focus more on the role of the health practitioner in helping people living with dementia around sleep and the impact that that can have on their well-being. In the meantime, if you want more resources, head to our website dta.com.au forward slash GP or follow Dementia Training Australia on Facebook or at Dementia Train AU on Twitter. See you next time. If you're a person living with dementia or if you're a family member or a carer of someone living with dementia, Dementia Australia has some great resources. The National Dementia Helpline is 1800 100 500 or you can visit dementia.org.au. Dementia in Practice is an initiative of Dementia Training Australia which is funded by the Australian Government.